Yo. This episode of the Pursuit Podcast Mr. is Adam presented here. by Fisher Skis. Pursuit Podcast, you're listening on the Out of Collective. I have such a good episode this week, and it made me think a lot about ski culture versus snowboarding culture. And with events like Homesick that just happened at Stratton this weekend on the East Coast, snowboard culture is alive and well. And ski culture, we don't really have any events like that. And my question is why? I don't really understand it. I think skiing is alive and well, but we're missing some of that core culture. And my guest this week, we talk about it. Mary Walsh, she's been behind the scenes of so many snowboarding events, an editor at Snowboard Magazines, magazine. She's been behind the scenes on everything. Announced events, emceed events, managed the uh, Red Bull Buttercup back in the day. It's such a good conversation because Mary's done it all. I've met Mary multiple times as a reminder in this podcast and we were all at events. We were on other sides of things and you know, I ran into her again at Snowbound and I've been chasing her down for the last six months to try to have this conversation. So Mary, thanks for actually taking the time and making it happen and thank you for an exciting conversation because it's interesting. I'm like so engulfed in the ski culture and I'm realizing something's missing. I'm not sure what it is. So if you have any opinions on it, I'd love to hear them. Slide to my DMs at Mr. Adam X. This episode's so good. It's just like I could talk snowboarding all day. So Mary, thank you. Uh, thank you for having the conversation. Before we get into that conversation, I got to tell you about my favorite brands, the brands that I love working with, and they support they support me. They support what I do here. They support the collective. So you should guys you guys should support them too. My first sponsor this week, Darn Tough. Darn Tough Socks. Socks made in Vermont. Through Hiker approved. Yeah, we're getting into mud season. We might be, or shoulder season. We're starting to hike a little more, a little less skiing, uh, biking. It's not always ready yet. So it's time to start thinking about those socks. Lifetime warranty. Unconditionally guaranteed for life. If it's not the most comfortable, durable, best fitting sock, Darn Tough will replace it. Where can you get that kind of guarantee? Not many places. Go check over. Go check out my friends over at Darn Tough. See what they have to offer. And yeah, I mean, tell them we sent you. Maybe they'll give you a high five or a hug. Something good. My second sponsor this week is my friends over at Thermic. Guys, if you're on the West Coast, it's freezing. Colorado is six degrees today. They make socks, insoles, heated gloves, vests, heated insoles. I'm using these things. I put the insoles in my boots. Unbelievable. Like, I didn't realize how much of a better skier it would make me be. I know, I know. You're like, how, how is heat making you feel better? But if you're warm, your muscles are warm, you feel good, your body's spending less effort keeping your body warm because it's warm and it's making everything work which makes you perform better makes you feel better makes you stay out longer it's the greatest stuff i've ever used genuinely it's so good conquer the cold with our friends over at thermic and after you're done skiing hiking biking doing all that good stuff 
nationally available now, guys. Nationally available. Sierra Nevada Hop Splash. Zero alcohol. Zero calories. Refreshing. Hydrating. Maximum hop flavor. Family owned, operated, and argued over for years upon years upon years. Friends over at Sierra Nevada. Hoppy notes of peach, mango, and grapefruit. Refreshing hop splash sparkling water is your anytime answer for your hops craving. When beer has to wait, hops infuse maximum flavor, zero of everything else. Zero alcohol, zero, zero carbs, zero calories. You can buy it online. You can find it in stores all throughout the nation. And let me get a little personal here. I love this stuff. It tastes good. It's refreshing. And it makes me feel like one of the boys or one of the girls when we're done. When we're done skiing for the day, we're done biking for the day. I can open up a nice, cold, refreshing hop splash. Okay, let's get right into this episode with Mary Walsh. I think ski culture's dead. Is it working on your end? Perfect. Yeah, it started. I'm going to hit record there. Uh, Mary, this is the worst part for you. I don't really warn anybody about this, but I don't do an introduction for you. So it's just, it's really just who is, I want to call you Molly all the time. And I don't really know why, but who is Mary Walsh <laughs> to Mary Walsh? Um, neurotic, really neurotic. <laughs> um, that's a really good question. I, you know, I think that's something that, that uh, I, maybe we all should think about more about all of ourselves that I probably avoid thinking about from time to time <laughs> or all the time hard question to answer. Um, yeah. Uh, I, um, are you looking more for like my, 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 my ethos or like where I grew up right now? <laughs> I think your ethos. Okay. Um, there's no wrong answer. Just like who, no, I like it. How does Mary Walsh fit into the snowboarding industry? Let's ask that. Um, I am a big nerd. I love snowboarding and um, I am a big nerd about it. I, I, I wasn't a person that grew up snowboarding who was like, oh, I'm gonna be a pro. Like I was very aware from a young age that, that wasn't the lane I was in or even aspiring to be in. It was more like, all I wanted to do was go snowboarding and when I wasn't snowboarding, I wanted to think about snowboarding and talk about snowboarding and just, I just was obsessed with snowboarding. And so I think I, uh, I, I'm just a snowboard nerd. And I am also, in addition to that, I've always loved writing and reading and I love magazines and all of that stuff. So I kind of, uh, through collecting all this information about something that I really loved, was able to kind of fuse that with something else I loved doing and, uh, use kind of a excessive nerdery in a positive way, I guess. <laughs> Do you have, I feel like you are one of the people who's been behind the scenes of so many, mostly snowboarding. You've always been snowboard like focused, right? Like you didn't really do a lot of ski events, but like you've always been behind the scenes of almost every snowboard event that major snowboard event that I can remember that if I was at or a part of, and you probably don't know that, but like, I think we might've met at like a Red Bull Buttercup years ago. Maybe I'm I, wrong. I didn't know you're right. I project managed the Red Bull Buttercup series. So that makes sense, right? Like, <laughs> yes. 
And then I think I was at like a trans world, like junior event at like big Boulder. And you might've been there. Like you've always been involved on the event side. It seems Mm -hmm. like. Yeah. That's actually how I got my start really in snowboarding. Um, I mean, I I got my start as an intern at Rome. That was like my really, uh, like that was my start start. First thing I ever did in snowboarding that was like industry related. Um, Very grateful to them for that. Uh, And then I started working uh, for Red Bull um, as basically a contract staffer all winter and sometimes year round uh, on the events team and sports team. So I worked for this guy, Jeffrey Gis, who's this kind of like legendary individual in Red Bull. And he was a sports marketing manager on the East Coast. And so the whole region, I worked with him on snowboarding uh, events. I actually did one ski event at Sunday River. And then we did a couple of skateboard events. And uh, I think it was this, this guy, actually Dave Rule. I always like to try to give credit to these people that have done so much oh, for yeah. me in my career. Um, Dave Rule was the field marketing manager in uh, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine at the time. This is like a long time ago, right? When I, I graduated college in 05. So it was shortly after that. I'm 08. And so close. oh, sick. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so he brought me on to work events with him. And then uh, when he left Red Bull, Matt Fasano took over and I worked with him. And and then I worked through them. Jeffrey just was kind of the head. They were both regional guys uh, who were amazing and gave me a lot of opportunities, which was I'm super grateful for. And then Jeffrey just was the head of sports marketing. And then Jenner Richard. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he's amazing. So Jenner is actually like, he's one of the people that I've, has given me like on different instances, like just the best, most phenomenal kind of life advice relating to work and beyond. And it was cool because I actually did an event with him, kind of came full circle, did an event with him in December and was telling him about this, how he had done that. It was really fun um, <clears throat> for me, at least. I don't know if it was for him, but, <laughs> but uh so he actually, he was a forum team manager back in the day. Oh, and then he, it was really cool because, so I grew up in Maine in a really small town. I, I mean, I grew up in the town that Mike LeBlanc is from and it's really small. It's like, yeah, it's, it's 8,000 people. I like looked up to him so much because as soon as I found out what snowboarding was, obviously looking through the magazines in like the late nineties, early two thousands, I was like this guy and he's from my hometown. And like, it's on the coast of Maine. There's a lot of lobster fishermen and there's a lot of clam diggers. And like, it's not, there's no snowboarding culture at all. There's like a very, very small amount of skateboarding. There was a lot of like hardcore punk rock music, but there was no snowboarding. We were like two and a half hours, three hours from the closest mountains, very coastal community. I actually grew up on like the water and like partially on like an island there. So like totally different. It's not in like the surf zone for Maine or anything like that. So, um, so finding out that this really amazing rider was from there to me was like this big deal because I was like, oh my God, you can be from this place and like your life can be so wrapped up in snowboarding. Um, I mean, obviously him as a pro and me, I just was like, I just want to talk to people about it, (laughs) but, um, Anyway, so um, that's a, I'm going super tangent and losing myself now, but I was talking about the Red Bull guys. Oh, so Jenner, basically Jenner's from Lewiston, which is like 40 minutes from where I grew up where there's this tiny, tiny mountain called Lost Valley. Do you know that mountain on the no. East Coast? It's tiny. You can buy tickets by the hour. Like it's it's really that's tiny. It's cool. New- I just went on a whole rant how you should be able to buy. I want eight one-hour lift tickets. I don't want one eight-hour lift ticket. 
Yeah. They, well, they start, you can do a minimum of two hours and then you can go oh, to the whole cool. day and they had night skiing. Japan also does this actually. Um, so, but it's really cool little spot. And so he basically went from there and then he worked with Bud Keen at uh, the Mount Mansfield Snowboard Club. And that's coached like Jake Blavelt and all these guys there. And then he went out and became the forum TM. And then he came back and became the East Coast Athlete Marketing Manager. And that's where I met him and worked with him. And I worked with him on the snowboard development team, which at the time was like Hans and Nils Mendick and Forrest Bailey and a couple other kids. Um, and so I kind of did that alongside all these events. Um, but I bring that up because... I was, I was crazy that I'd never met Jenner, but I like, I went from Maine and then I worked for MMSC and then I, um, worked at Red Bull. It, like, it was this kind of thing where I was almost like, I felt like I was like cir circling his path almost as like another Mainer. And just the fact that he was from so close, a lot of pride in like how there's very little snowboard scene in that area, but having these really cool people come from that area that always inspired me. Um, but anyhow, so, uh, so yeah, basically I did those events then and I was writing freelance, but writing freelance does not or did not pay the bills. It's really hard to make it pay the bills. Still, but. No. <laughs> so I always did these events, um, as my winter gig and I loved it. I, I mean, producing events is, is super, super fun. So, but that was the first, uh, job I had in snowboarding was, um, event production. Sorry, that was a really long answer to your question. That's, that's great. I mean, that's the point of this. Like some people who go on podcasts, I'm like, oh, you, you know, I just like throw them a softball and they're like, yep. And then I just, <laughs> uh oh, we're getting robotty. Let's pause. I'm so sorry, Adam. That's okay. I mean, that's super weird. It's, it's got my headphones. Yeah. It's weird that it just happens, though. Yeah. It's like a, it sounds good now. We'll just, anybody listening, we just, Mary has a robot voice that comes through every once in a while. So we just have to restart it. So that's, we're having technical difficulties. Oh, it's my Apple AirPods doing me dirty right now. We'll blame, we'll blame Apple. <laughs> um, did you ever think, like, was it, this is such a dumb question, but like, did you think it was going to be a phase and you were going to like, I'm going to go be an accountant? Or were you like, I'm going to find my way in the snowboard industry? No, I never even once thought it was a phase. My parents initially were definitely, I think, hoping it was a phase. They're so supportive and they're both kind of uh, like a little bit non-traditional in their lives in terms of like what they like to do, like their past. Like my mom's an artist. Um, my dad is a poet and they both were also teachers, but they're so they're like definitely like follow things that, you know, you love as long as you're being pragmatic. But um but I think they were a little concerned because initially I graduated college, moved for, moved to Vermont, was coaching snowboarding and delivering pizza. And they were both like, oh, seems like an ex right? expensive diploma for this. Um, but uh, no, I think um, I am a really stubborn person, I think. Um, and I, I never, I never had this sense of, okay, I get X amount of time to do something that's fun for me. And then I'm going to like, you know, wipe my hands of it and go do something that is adult. I always had this frame of mind of like, I'm not sure what my end game here is, but I know the pieces I want it to involve. And I'm just going to keep pushing toward that. I want to, and I, for me, it was like, 
I wanted to snowboard and think and talk about snowboarding as much as possible. I wanted to have a have my work be something that was creative and challenging and not the same every day and constantly kind of throwing new curveballs that I would need to figure out and work with. Um, and I didn't want to be in an office and I wanted to have an element of freedom for exploration of like, you know, um, creativity and mental challenges and all that kind of stuff. So I basically was just like, I'm just going to keep doing the things that make me happy. And, but at the same time, working really hard and kind of see what happens. I think that's, I think more people need that mentality, right? Like I'm, I'm on a trip across the country and I'm driving my van and so many people, even in the ski industry are like, how can you afford to do that? Or how can you, and it's like, I'm 36 years old. Like I'm not a young kid, but like took me a long time to get to this position where I can like do this, but I just refused to like, I knew what I wanted and I refused to like let anything else happen. And sure there was like years of bartending and like delivering pizzas and, but it's, I think people see you now and not in a bad way, but they're like, how did you get there? And it's like, well, I fucking hustle. <laughs> no, I really appreciate that because I completely agree is I think it's a, I think it's almost just like a philosophy of going about your life, right? Like when, when I, and I think honestly being an internet Rome really suited me and also gave me a fairly good preparation for that because when I was an intern, interning wasn't even a thing. My call, like in terms of like my college, like it, like now I feel like it's like really commonplace. Everyone has an internship, like internships are amazing for like cultivating uh, connections and experience. But when I did it, my school didn't even give credit for it. In fact, like I brought it up because I applied for like this scholarship thing for the summer to do it. And they were like, we don't do that for internships. And I was like, what? Like, how am I supposed to do this? You know? Um, and, uh, and, but for me, I think I went in and I also didn't go into, as, into Rome with being an intern for like marketing or like design or engineering. Like I went to a liberal arts school in uh, Eastern Massachusetts and I made my own major. <laughs> I mean, from the <laughs> from the very beginning, I was like, I'm just gonna do it this way, I think, and uh, and it was it was brutal. It was like very very hard. I actually remember like one of the deans in the who had to like approve my major telling me that I was going to flounder in life because like I was like not hitting the deadline enough. And now I'm good at hitting deadlines, but um, but I but I just think it it's in that situation it was college can be very rigid in terms of what they define as success or not successful. And I think in my mind, I felt very, um, I think that, so I was going back a little bit, um, really good at meandering answers. Um, okay. we love that. <laughs> but I think that, um, the, I kind of rebelled against what happened in what I felt like was a really constrictive environment in college where they were like, this is success. This is not success. Follow the rules success. Like there wasn't this kind of like, creative exploration aspect of being able to kind of find what you felt was challenging and what you defined as a success that could that could in theory be productive in society somehow or whatever it may be and so i, I went to rome um i was a junior in college when i did that or right maybe i guess the summer after my junior year and that really reinforced what i had hoped for so i went there with just to be an intern and they were tiny at the time they'd only been around um that was 2004, I think. So they'd only been around for three years, you know, and, 
And, um, and so there were one room, there was like six people that worked there and, uh, huge, amazing, I did actually huge, amazing thing to Josh Reed and, um, Paul Maravitz and Dan Sullivan and Dennis Healy and, um, uh, Tim Bro at the time and who gave me a chance and Mike Walder cause they, they were the ones that let me like hang around <laughs> a super green, you know, intern hanging around. So, um, but, uh. Um, I'm forever thankful to them for the opportunity and to Josh and Paul and Sully in particular. Um, but, uh, but basically I went there and so I had no, there wasn't like a direction. Like I wasn't like, I'm, I've been studying this and I'm going to do this thing and I'm looking for my dream job. I was just like, I just want to be here and I'll do anything. Like, I just want to see what it's like to be in this environment and be around other people that I feel like share that same passion that I'm feeling so strong, strongly. And so I like, I, I think I picked like, I did their whole run of die cut stickers that they sold in shops. I picked all of them that summer. The yeah. And like, I, and I would, I, you know, I stuff envelopes and do whatever. And I would do tons of really fun things too. But to me, all of those things were equally as exciting. I was like, I will sit here for six hours and pick stickers. This is so cool. I'm in a real snowboard brand's office peeling die cut sticker. Like, this is amazing. And, and I think like, you have to have a certain looping back to your question. I feel like it's a certain mindset to be enthralled by those things. And I was never caught up like, okay, I have to graduate and get my dream job and be in this thing. And by this time be in this place and this time in this place, I've always had this mentality that if you believe in something and trust that, trust the process and work your ass off, like probably at the detriment of other aspects of your life, um, and feel passionately and strongly about something and are kind to other people and you just do the best you can in all of those those aspects, then you can create something like a life that you want that doesn't have to be defined by, you know, the society's expectations in any given circumstance, you know, being adult enough or not adult enough or like buying a house at a certain time or whatever it may be, all these, you can, you can kind of like do all the things that make you happy, but you have to be willing to have a lot more discomfort in life. Because if you want that comfort of stable health insurance, stable income, like, like I have stable health insurance, but I pay for it. I don't have it. You know what I mean? And I've always been comfortable with that. Like I will pay out of pocket. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm okay with paying for all those things and existing on kind of whatever I need to make happen to, for my end goal of being happy, you know, uh, with what I'm doing for work. Yeah, I I relate to that a lot. Um, not that this is about me, but, you know, high school is like same thing. Like you can't ski every day. I didn't really f- actually started as a snowboarder. Most people don't know that. But like not till I was 17, like I was a basketball player. <laughs> and then I found snowboarding and I was like kind of slacking on basketball. Like I was wasn't going to be a pro basketball player, but I could have played like D3 somewhere shitty and small. <laughs> like I could have I was. An, but like. Like I made, this is my basketball career. I made varsity as a sophomore, and then I got cut as a junior. If that tells you anything, <laughs> my that's classic. But like my coach knew before I did. Like you're not in it. You don't care. Any. You have the skill, but you don't care. And I found snowboarding, and it like changed my life entirely and my whole trajection and then or trajectory. And I had a history teacher who I see at my home resort to this day, oh, who's now retired. So cool. And he was like, you can't 
basically you can't fuck off forever. You can't ski forever. You can't snowboard forever. And every year I see him like opening day and he's like, you're still here and you're still doing it. And like, it's crazy. And then I went to school for economic crime investigation and technology, which is like everyone I went to school with works for the FBI. Wow. That was my plan, I think, is so I could just get away with things because I know them all. But I remember being like in class and my teachers being like, you know, you don't put any effort in. You don't give a shit. Like you're always skiing or snowboarding or doing like other things like school is secondary. And I was always like, you know, if we're going to be cops, who do you want in a cop car? Like me or straight A student? <laughs> like, you can't teach that shit. Like, I don't care how smart that kid is. Like, I'm going to help. I'm going to react. I'm going to have a plan. I'm going to get after it. Um, so not that this is about me, but it's like, you can make your own path. Yes. And I think college has changed a little bit. I think high school has changed a little bit. Um, and just parents are now us. Yeah. So like our generation is like, follow it, but you have to fucking do it. Right. You can't just like be lazy. No. And like up your rope. Um, no, I really appreciate that you're saying that because I agree. And um, I, because I, I think it's, it's a, there's two sides to it, right? It's, it's like, like you said, you can't just, if you want, if you want to really follow kind of an unorthodox path, so to speak for, for like lack of a better word, and you have like these things that you really want to do, um, that are just make you so happy and you want to somehow turn them into the, what you do for work, there's, you have to be willing to work really freaking hard because that kind of stuff, it's, it's not the easy path. And I'm not saying like, in a way where it's like, oh, what we all do is so hard. Not like that. I just mean like you have to be relentless. You have to want to be relentless and and be uncomfortable because I think that there's that lack of stability um, in any sense, whether it's, you know, a clear cut path professionally or, you know, um, financial stability at times or whatever it may be. That's not for everyone. And that's totally cool if that's not someone's jam. But for me, I actually had a talk with a, a friend of mine who's amazing and <clears throat> she comes from surf and she's just like incredible human. And we were talking about the fact cause she was, she works freelance a lot as well. Um, and, but it has done stints at companies and the idea that it's like an illusion of freedom kind of in a way that I feel like is so driving because it's like, you're like, I create this life for myself. I do these things that make me really happy. Um, and I just don't, I want to be able to, choose how I spend my time and uh, in terms of work, but then I could work, you know, 80 hours a week. Whereas if I had a, you know, a regular job, maybe I'd work 40 hours a week on the dot and have a lot more time off to myself, maybe be less stressed at times, but it's that illusion that I can exist where I want to exist, you know, and work where I want to work and do what I need to be doing that makes me feel freedom. Even if I'm working even more than if I was not in that position. Oh, no, I, I relate to that, like, full on full, like, it's not, you know, I'm not an engineer, I don't get to like, Oh, I'm at 40 hours, like F off, I'll deal with this Monday. And if I take three (laughs) weeks off, like, my counterpart engineer will like, keep up on it. Like, if I take three weeks off, like my emails aren't answered. I don't like, like, no one else is gonna be there. And that happens in other positions. But it is funny, people are just always they always think the grass is greener and you're like, our lives are cool. Don't get us wrong. But like, 
it's really hard to have relationships and like friendships and like, you know, my buddies text me and they're like, are you around? And then they just stop texting you because they know you're not around. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's true, but it's like, no, totally. And it's, yeah. you know, my girlfriend love her to death, but it's like, I'm gone for six weeks. And it's like, I hope you can yeah. visit and come and join me, but sometimes it doesn't work. And sometimes, so it's, you know, I think there's two sides to that story and I think that's always yes. like the best part. Um, but I think a lot of this fan base driving to Boston right now would love to be in our position. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's hard to be well as me, but it's work. And I think there's always room for everyone at the table. And that's like, sounds yes. cliche, but it's not always easy to get to the table. And that's with yes. anything. Like we just yes. think we shine more light on it in like our industry versus like, there's not always room at every, I just knock on engineers this whole time, but like, there's not always room for everyone at the engineering table. And like, right. you have to work to get there. And it's the same thing here. And like now, I mean, you're, we're not dating you, but you're 20 years into your career. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 That's frightening. If you, were cop, you, could retire. <laughs> if you were a cop, you'd be oh like, Oh my God. Mom. Seriously? Yeah. 20 God. years and out. I don't know if it's still the no same. No way. God, I never, right? even, maybe, you know, sometimes I like to joke that maybe I should have taken a different path, but usually it's to joke that I should have gone into surf like surf photography or surf journalism where they go somewhere and it's really warm. Um, I love the cold, but it seems really nice. It's casual. Cold event production is like the worst. Oh man. Especially, I feel like it was so cold back in the day. I mean, this isn't like that long ago, but I know it still gets really cold, but I have these memories of being so cold at like Stowe and like Mountain Creek and like night events, just colder than I can remember being in a very, like since then. Maybe you just got like hard. Like you just, got, you just got like hardened. So what, what is the worst event you were ever a part of on the production side? Oh man. I this isn't a shot at any event because things like just go wrong. The craziest things. Oh my God. I don't know actually just because. So I think event work is kind of, to me, in my mind, and granted, I'm not in the thick of it in the same way I was, but I do still work on a, a fair amount of events, which, um, but not like all the time. Uh, but I feel like Murphy's Law is like the defining kind of line of events where you're always dealing with, and that's what made them so fun to me, I felt like, is you're always dealing with some like last minute problem solving that you need to figure out, whether it's like the COI for the insurance thing didn't come through or like this person's flight is delayed or the scaffolding is the wrong size. I don't know, whatever it is. Um, so I don't know if I have a worse one because I seriously had so much fun when I was doing that. I worked for Red Bull for like seven years, I think, or something like that. And uh, and it was always so, so fun doing events because I love that you go to some other, you'd go to a different place and you'd see all your friends in this one place and do something super fun. And it was like this kind of like race to like just just energy wise, like keep it going. And then you were just exhausted after and it was great. And you got to go home and chill and then do it again a week later. I just thought the, that sounds maybe crazy, but I thought the process was really fun. I don't know if I've had a really bad event experience. I've had like, there's always things that happen, but you figure them out every time. I'm kind of blowing this question because I can't think of one that like was really There's no rough. wrong answers. Yeah. Also my resume, I've worked like probably 300 events from color runs to San Francisco marathon. Oh, sick. To LTP. Like I, like I've never, I never gotten the Red Bull. Like 
it just never, I never got the cool events. I always did. <laughs> Color Run's cool. I didn't. I just, it wasn't, but it was fine. It was easy. <laughs> it was like an easy way to make money. But like, yeah, been all over the world, like producing events on really weird scales, like running races. And mostly my bread and butter was like running races, cycling. Anytime we're putting thousands of people on a closed course, that was my wheelhouse. Like that's sick. the show must go on full panic. Like, you know, this road's still open. It's like, okay, but there's 20,000 people running down the street right now. So like, shut it down that's any sick. way you can. No, I love that. That's the thing is like, was- you always make it happen. And I'm trying to think, I know there was some events back in the day where I remember having like, oh no, like when we did the, there was a year that we did, um, the Red Bull, like Buttercup and different rail jam situations in like cities. And that required so much more infrastructure, obviously with like uh, stadium seating and like, or scaffolding and stadium seating and all these different things. And I have some memory of one time that something got crazy on like the day of, and like the, the company that was supposed to deliver, like something very vital in terms of like infrastructure was not able to do it. But I also think I just blocked those things out. So I have, I <laughs> it, like we got through it. I'm like, Oh, that event was great. And let's do it again. Cause I think some of these things are like, so, so tiring. Like Christine Savage and I actually joke about this with beyond the boundaries where we're like, Oh, something went wrong. Like a couple of years ago. I don't remember that at all. We just like, we're like, mm, don't think about it. Just move on. <laughs> it's such like a bizarre relationship. Cause like every time, you're like Friday, it's midnight. You're like, I'm, like, I'm never doing an event again. And then like Sunday, you're like, that wasn't that bad. Exactly. That's the same with making a cool. magazine with like anything too. I feel like you get through that. I mean, not to totally jump, but like making a magazine, you get through the print process and you're like, oh, glad that's over. Never have to do that again. Then like six months later, you're like, oh, let's go. Why don't we make another magazine again? <laughs> this is great. It, how important is print? to you oh i print is everything to me <laughs> i love it i lo- i i mean m- like i said both my parents are huge um huge readers we had so many books around the house um i read with them as a kid so like every single day books were just a huge deal um in my life from the get-go and magazines in the same sense and um my parents tease me now because they both love literature and I like love nonfiction. So I think that's what kind of veered me into magazines and everything was I, 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 uh, I love kind of more like journalistic approaches and nonfiction and everything like that. Um, but I think there's something really special about holding something in your hand. And that's probably kind of what everybody says, but it's just feeling, feeling like the weight of a, a magazine or a book or a coffee table edition or anything like that and be able to flip the pages and how the how the tactile feeling of the paper how it smells be able to crack a binding for the first time on a fresh magazine is like such a wonderful thing to get to do um i love print i think it's it's so sick um yeah it's i love it do you think print got greedy because I'll give you my answer first and then you can give your answer because that's how a good podcast goes. I think they just it came to a point where there was so much monthly stuff that we lost the attraction of it being delivered. And like it just they were just putting out shit and filling pages with um, more ads than good articles. And it's really hard to come up with good 
thought-provoking articles every month on so like i actually like like the biannual magazine i think it's sustainable um i think it's it gives me excitement and like i get an email that's like hey this is coming this week and i'm like hell yeah i kind of forget about it versus when i got like the monthly magazine it just became the newspaper and you just throw it away <laughs> but i don't you tell me so no no i love this discussion and i appreciate you sharing sharing your thoughts on it um because i think for me i always want to hear what people think about this kind of stuff because it helps to inform me in my position to try and like make try my best to like contribute positively you know and see if i can help make things better at all um okay so i i seriously love magazines like i love them i have i have always had a lot of subscriptions to magazines um i uh, both quality magazines and like i have like a I have a women's health subscription every month because i i like there's things i want to read like on a plane when i kind of want to like zone out and then there's like things i want to read when i want to read some like really awesome like journalism like outside or like you know the atlantic or whatever it may be um in front of me on a shelf i have a stack of magazines um that i need to read that's like it's like this big it's like a i actually shouldn't say this big because no one can see this it's like probably eight inches tall and so sure. <laughs> my watch sorry trying to butt into the conversation um and so i definitely understand the fact that it's easy to get behind so and i go through those like i basically get magazines every month and i put some in my bag for traveling and then like i when i'm done with those i put more for the pile in and i kind of cycle through but it's a slow process i always have some that i need to read so I totally get that. Um, but I think with snowboarding media, it kind of matters uh, specifically like, um, and this does filter out to like, you know, powder and surfer and, and things that were involved with like snowboarder and that, um, that magazine group. But I think kind of matters what time of kind of um, uh, atrophy we're talking about. Because when I first started working for snowboarder, we had, I think we only had it might have been like right around when six magazines was finishing, but it might, we pretty much had four my entire tenure there. So I was already coming in when it was like, it was in that, it was that way. I know Surfer was still monthly. I'm not sure what powder was, but powder we were already downgraded monthly. to only partial year. Yeah. So in snowboarding media, I don't think that we got greedy because we were trying to keep the lights on the entire time um and we were really we were really at the when i started i think i was in i was involved in two of the buyouts that happened at snowboarder when i started i think it was grind and then it became 10 and then it became ami which became a3 right. a360 and so there's a there's a lot of meat in between all of those things but the but the basic thing is is like we were part of what's called the action sports network that encompassed, you know, like, like I said, like powder, um, skateboarder, um, surfer, bike, sup, kayak, kayak fish, all that kind of stuff. And then our company bought Transworld, And so we were all the Transworld publications as well. And from the time early on in my tenure there, I saw like magazines just getting cut. Like, uh, there was, there was, 
surfer transworld surfing they cut transworld surfing there was skateboarder and transworld skate they cut skateboarder like all these different things constantly um and it wasn't of any fault in a lot of sense to i mean this is really like top level like there's so much more that goes into this but it wasn't any fault necessarily of the magazines biting off more than they could chew it was more of that you have these large kind of corporate entities that own the the magazines that have no connection to those um the publications themselves or the cultures or anything like that it's just like an investment for them and so a lot of things happen based on based on just numbers you know just basically like okay this doesn't make this is done like cut it or whatever and for snowboarding we really operated at least i can only speak for snowboarder but we really operated on like a very tight budget of things like we were all sharing hotel rooms like we were we were only putting out four issues a year and yes you have to have some varying different kinds of advertisers to make that happen like you know anything from you know a endemic snowboard brand to like a tire company because you're just trying to but for us it was really about just trying to keep the lights yeah, on I mean, constantly which I, I give credit to jeff baker and pat bridges who like absolutely nailed it and ryan fields and everyone lucky lopez all those guys were amazing at that um scott keating everyone that was there kyle kennedy amazing dudes but like so i think it's i think it's like an interesting thing because my part in snowboarding media is kind of the the last in a really exciting period but then also involves the last gasp of those really two big titles yeah it's i mean we deal with the same thing with like you know we have ads like that's how this works like this is how long have we been scheduling this six months maybe like it takes time and effort. yeah but it's like <laughs> part of it and like you know it's not always it takes work and you have to have ads and ads make it it go but and that's just my opinion on like this it, especially well at that time i was definitely a trans world snowboarder subscriber and i was probably like adding freeze to it because i was like switching to skiing and i was very confused at the time uh <laughs> i just wanted to do both which is cool um but it's, i don't know i really i do like a lot of the newer mags so do you still work for snowboard mag or not at all yes yes i'm the editor okay. over at snowboard so this will be our third i'm going to the third volume or we're going to the third volume like i'm going in that with that so what is the subscription model so we actually do two issues a year but they both come out in okay the fall. and you can pay you can you buy them individually yeah. or do you buy it one all at once um you can buy them individually i think right now which is just kind of like a that's like a in process to get like right. a full subscription type of thing. I love that model. Like yeah. I genuinely do. Cause it gives me, I don't need six a year. It's just, I'd rather have two <laughs> really good ones than six yeah. mediocre ones. And I'm not saying that when they're six, the no, totally. changes, but like sometimes no. it does, like you got to feed the machine. No, totally. And what we have with two, so Jeff Baker is our GM. Um, he was one of the original founders of Snowboard in 2004, which is really cool. And he was also my boss. And I work with Mark Clavin. It was his, he was his boss also because he was the publisher GM for Snowboarder and then Snowboarder and Transworld. So he's like absolute legend. Um, he's like, I think one of the 
so in the background because he's so humble that he definitely doesn't get the credit that he deserves, I think, in snowboarding for how much he contributes and has contributed. It's like pretty wild. He's an amazing person, but he is he loves print. And so what he's done with these two issues is really they're really, really nice paper. It's like a soft touch cover. The paper is really like thick. They're very heavy. Like it's very hard for me. I want to bring magazines to people when I go places and I can carry like 10 in my board bag before right. it's too many. They're like so heavy and they're bigger. Like they're larger just in inches, like uh, vertically and horizontally. So they're really, really nice publications. So I think that is, is rad, but I always am like, Baker, can I get more pages? Like, that's the one thing is when you're, when you, there's so many rad stories that I want to put in print that I, I want, I always want more pages. I'm, I am page greedy, but pages are determined by budget, right? So, and you know, gets, you, I can't, you can't make one so big that you can't right. ship it, yeah. I guess, or something. Awesome. But I'm like, let's get more pages. I have this other thing, because I think also because print is so, because there aren't as many, like what you're saying, I think it really, forces you to be very particular about the stories you want to put in print. And the, and so it's like this, it even has become even more of a hallowed ground for, you know, when you compare it to the internet, which has unlimited opportunities for whatever you want to put on it. And that can go so many different directions. It can have amazing stuff. It can have listicles, like it can have all those things. Listicles. I've never heard Ford that term Panda. in my life. <laughs> That's my specialty. Yeah. It's yeah, that's that. What was that? Trash. It's a uh, Buzzfeed. The Buzzfeed trash is article. mystical. I love. Yeah. So makes the pages really important. I think. No, it's refreshing, and I I do think there is a place for it, and I think it's coming back. Which like I don't think it ever like left completely, but yeah. like there was a huge boom. Everyone had a magazine. Everyone was like, "Let's do it," and then it was like, "Whoa, this yeah. sucks. This is a lot of work." And then now I think we're getting like quality print with quality articles, and it. I also think it gives the writers enough time to actually create something like magic that like moves you yes versus just like yeah i don't know you just throw shit at a wall and see what sticks like that's what the internet's for yes yeah that is actually what i agree with the internet yeah no totally there's so many cool things happening in print right now i mean in snow obviously you have like I, you know, we're working really hard on snowboard and constantly trying to evolve that. And then you have what uh, Bridges and the crew are doing and stand everyone over at Slush. And then um, Stark and Ian with Torment is so great. And then it's like King Snow, what Jesse's doing. There's so many cool things. You go over to Club Sandwich and like White Lines. There's there's a lot of uh, method. method, method. Actually, yeah, they're great. I mean, there's so many cool print that's bringing different perspectives right now. And then also like um, Rogie's Mountain Gazette. I think that's yeah. so cool what he's doing with that. So there's a lot of cool stuff happening. It's like exciting. actual, it's like art. It's a coffee table book. It's not a throwaway yeah. magazine that they yeah. used to be. Um, it, it lives on your exactly. coffee table, not the back of your toilet. That's what's changed. Exactly. I like that. It, it's it really has, like genuinely. Like in ski houses, if you like are fortunate enough to rent a ski house for the weekend, like you see those publications <laughs> that would like normally be like next to the toilet that are on the coffee table because they're like better paper and nice pages and like beautiful photos. And I don't know. It's really, it's great to see and I love to see it and I hope it continues and it's like really funny when I talk about it. Cause I'm like, fuck, I can't be a hypocrite. I have to like subscribe. And then I like look at how much I'm spending on magazines every year. And I'm like, you know what? That's okay. But I think we have to keep supporting. It's a tax write off. Is it? <laughs> 
I mean, I consider yeah, it work. Yeah, it's work. Because <laughs> I'm, you know, it's like research. Like I subscribe to, I subscribe to a bunch of non-snowboarding stuff. Like one of my favorite to read right now are The Atlantic and Stab. And so I pay for both of those and I'm like, Liz, I feel like this is a tax write-off. This is research. I mean, I don't think the IRS is listening, but everything's a tax write-off. Like my whole ski tax write-off, right? Like, this how would you make your money? I talked about skiing. What did you do on that trip? I skied. Oh, I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm poor today. I'm going to be poor tomorrow. What are you going to do? Like, come at me for nothing. <laughs> well, good luck. Yeah. I will take Yeah. I was, I was, yeah, you're still going to do it, even if it's obviously the tax write-off is a bonus. And, uh, but I just think, I think it's so, I feel like it's, it's a worthwhile pursuit to pay money for, for writing and photos and video. So I'm, I'm always stoked to do it. Um, yeah. And you can't can. complain that like new magazines don't exist if you don't support them. Exactly. That's the thing. That's the one thing is we do have to support these entities and that is on us. And like, it's, I, not to sound like preachy by any means, but I, I feel like that is something that's really of value within snowboarding, but within action sports in general, within media. I mean, constantly there's cuts happening at these massive media conglomerates. And it's like, just that's how the, the industry is right now in the current economy and the current, you know, way that we interact with technology, technology and all this stuff. And so if like, $70 for a stab premium subscription. Honestly, for what I'm getting from them, that's like kind of really cheap. Yeah, and it makes them so like I always laugh, like become unfireable. Like all my friends are like, I can't call off tomorrow. I have to work. And I'm like, be unfireable, dude. Like just but like if you make these magazines unfireable because they're so profitable that like the higher ups are like, well, shit, they're still making money. They stand alone. They don't bother us at all. Like that's how we control it i always <laughs> compare magazines to telemark and i like i don't know if you like but like i always shit on telemark and all these <laughs> but all these guys in telemark world are like mad that they don't have a new telemark boot like there hasn't been a new telemark boot in 17 years i think is the actual number it's just the old mold and they keep making it and i'm like if you guys bought new boots they would make a new boot like there's a reason i don't know burton makes 15 different models every year and like let's let, leave it to me to like skier to say burton as the one brand company it's because snowboarders buy 32 boots and like support them so then they can then support their favorite snowboarders and then everyone gets paid and like that's how businesses work if you don't buy new things yeah. telemark they don't buy new things. The store is dying. And it's like, what do you want them to do? And like, we lost magazines because one, I think, I do think magazines got a little greedy, but two, like now the ones that exist, if you like them, subscribe. Like it's a drop in the bucket. It's a, it's yes. dinner. Like, so. It's, yeah. And it's, it's fun. You can, you can take it from the coffee table into the bathroom and read it when you're at your most relaxed. And then you could put it back on the coffee table. There's so yeah, many things you can do. It's nice to slow down. I don't know. It's, I enjoy it. I really do. Yeah. I, I am the person that like gets the magazine and doesn't read it for like a month because I'm not ready, which is like psychopath. But like, I, I'm not yeah. there. I can't enjoy it. So I'm not going to consume it. 
Yeah, no, I feel that. I want to sit down with it and enjoy it. Like, you know, sit down with like a coffee or whatever it is and and get to look at it. You yeah. want that moment. It's you good. want to take it in. I How respect that. has snowboarding, this is your, I don't know. You're the, you're the only one in the world who can answer this question. How has snowboarding continued to keep their culture? It's done a really good job. That's a good, thank you as for like for saying that about snowboarding. Cause I think that that's a really cool thing to hear. Cause like you're saying like you snowboard but you also have a good outside perspective coming from skiing as well. So that's really cool to hear because I think obviously with the recent there was a big recent discussion around X games and all that stuff. And, and Todd Richard had a great post. Um, that was amazing about the. So I think, um, okay, let me think this uh, is, so I think. Obviously yes. there's like an asterisk, right? Like X games, a little spicy, but like, they're just doing their best to keep things rolling. But in general, I think snowboarding has done a very good job of creating culture snowboard jesus no offense think, you're just trying to make a buck i think you're doing some good things for people but like i don't know it's i i retain no comment specifically that's okay on, you don't um, have to snowboard jesus but but I, but I think that it, I guess what it, it illust it brought up a good point when that whole thing surfaced about the culture, because I think they're, you know, snowboarding. Okay. I'm just gonna talk out That's loud. Fine. There's no this, rules. Um, this answer, <laughs> but I think one thing that we have, which is exciting and also to our benefit in terms of the culture being, you know, alive and everything like that is that we are a very young endeavor where so many of the people that the majority of the people that kind of really ushered this in and created the foundation are still snowboarding, which is so cool. And, and like, so they're still involved to help kind of um, share that and continue to tell that story. And so I think that's really cool. Um, but obviously I think we need even more of that as kind of a side blurb. I think individuals like, um, at the do tour, um, Shannon Dundowney and Tina Bassich were there and they are getting more back into snowboarding right now. Like, you know, um, which is really exciting. So they like Shannon has a pro model. They're re-releasing her iconic dolphin pro model, which was one of the first two women's pro models ever along with Tina's pro model. Um, and, and I think it's so cool that they're like, we want to get more involved and help kind of carry this torch and share this. And it's like what Todd does, what Russell Winfield does, like um, Mikey LeBlanc becoming pro again for ride. Like there are these individuals that like, it's so ingrained in them being a part of this that they're they're still, they're still in it and wanting to be in it and wanting to share that, which is so, so cool. And I think that's a big part of having the culture continue to evolve and grow in a way that is true to the foundation while like obviously evolving for the times and everything um so i think that's really cool I, it's i think it's a, an amount of dedication i guess in that sense and then it's the people the riders who are carrying it on i mean that's you know the biggest part of it the riders who are representing snowboarding and how they choose to you know um how they choose to ride and and, and contribute and the creativity and the tricks and and then also the people that are making movies that are making magazines that are shooting photos. And I think trying to all to instill in all of us just on our own, 
a kind of um, a, like a great and deep respect for everyone that has built snowboarding up to the point where we are involved and that we get to participate in this like really truly amazing thing and just trying to say okay like how can we better it and how can we contribute to that and then the second part of that is right now obviously trying to get more people involved and I think you know trying to get more people involved and make snowboarding open to more people in a way that is you know you don't have to water down the culture to get more people involved you can be you can share it with people in a really authentic way that basically i always kind of think of it as like passing someone the mixtape but not making that mixtape so hard to find that dates me incredibly because that's like <laughs> hardcore yeah. 90s trying to before you could find music on the internet but like you know you couldn't you couldn't you didn't learn about new things when I was in high school unless you had someone who introduced you to that new thing, really, because you couldn't you couldn't go online to find anything like that. You could go online to find like GeoCities. <laughs> saying that's not sick, but like that you know. So you needed someone to kind of extend their hand to welcome you in, and I think we can do that in snowboarding now while retaining the culture and sharing with people. I think you know, sharing with people this, this wonderful thing and the history of it and honoring everything that's come before us while looking to the future and saying, how can we make it all better? How can we welcome more people in? How can we like swell this experience in a way that is true to snowboarding? Not sure if that answered the question at all, but that's my I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. <laughs> it's always wild to me that snowboarding is still cool. And I mean that I'll explain that statement. <laughs> but like natural no, selection. No. <laughs> NFTs. No, my No, no. I think natural selection is like seriously, I think that's a I thing, did. you well, know. That even, helps really keep not it. Not even that. Like my niece who's five is like, you know, Uncle Adam, do you ski or snowboard? And I'm like, I I ski. Like I ski. 95 days a year i telemark two and i snowboard three like that's my year uh, but like <laughs> my five-year-old niece is like oh like because i'm not a snowball it's not cool. really like it's really <laughs> interesting funny. to me that like snowboarding is still cool and i don't know if it's because like their parents ski so like it's not the cool thing but like snowboarding has always been cool and it's really weird and maybe it's because it's not like we're not there yet like maybe when todd richards is 70 and now it's like old white guys snowboarding then we can like because that's what skiing is right now <laughs> like maybe we'll get there <laughs> but i do like your answer on that it's new it's still new and like the people that you know were the driving force of it are still doing it and that's different than skiing like yeah. entirely you know todd richards on the bomb hole is like dude my half pipe run that that one i don't know any comp like seven-year-olds are doing and getting third like it's but like he's still in it in a way yeah, bigger like pipe. it's so crazy how much it's evolved and but like it's still young and it's still new and i think it's really neat yeah to like see and watch and like it's cool it's definitely a very interesting it's the same reason i'm going to put a snowboard on tomorrow to ride with snowboarders because like i want to be cool and i want them to know that That's i can so ski or that i can snowboard well and like <laughs> i'm in this club 
that's so no it's so interesting because i feel like obviously being in it i don't see that in that same way i just for like me i'm just like it just feels like this thing that you that you do all the time and you're like oh i like it but i don't get that like outward like the most i think of it is like watching the um what's it sports center clip that had travis rice's pillow drop from natural selection and the and the commentator was like i have a rule about doing things where i could die i don't do them (laughs) or something like that and so i think about that or when someone's like you know like you know say gnarly and you're like what like when you see people go on like mainstream media or something like that so it's weird because i sometimes feel like snowboarding is so misunderstood by the mainstream audience in so many ways and so it's like trying to and this goes back to like the X Games thing, obviously, is trying to have people communicating it in a way that is really authentic to snowboarding um, is so powerful because it welcomes people in instead of it doesn't pander to them or anything like that. It helps them to understand something that maybe they would like doing. Um, but but I do think that it's it's such a big deal having people, you know, like these these the pros like like I said, like Shannon, Tina, Todd, Dave Downing, who works for Burton still like, um, you know, having people in these positions that are helping to cultivate this through the decades is really integral. And again, I, I and I bring them out to selection, but I think that's another really great example where you have this, this incredible professional snowboarder, obviously Travis still riding at like the highest it's level like and just frustrating. continually getting even better. Yeah, it's wild. And, but he decided to do this thing that, um, that shows snowboarding in such an incredible way and like that natural selection is one of the things i feel like that i've had more people mention to me at different times who don't snowboard that they and and maybe even are not ever going to snowboard but they they love watching natural selection because they say that it it, i can see why you want to do it now they don't get that from you know watching you know the olympics or something like that but they but they can see this the way that natural selection does its broadcast with the stories and the and the rider profiles and just the riding itself i feel like gives people a sense of this really kind of really core facet of snowboarding um because it's a competition but it's such an unusual unorthodox competition but i think going back to it looping in back around is that having someone like travis who is doing that with um liam griffin and carter westfall and cersei wallace and everyone in that crew um t-bird and everyone is like they're simultaneously giving back to snowboarding. And I think that's a big part of it is that people in snowboarding, so many people want to give back to something that's that, I mean, maybe that's the answer actually, is that the people that have always been in it, there's so many of them that want to give back to it and continue to help contribute to it. And maybe that's what still keeps it like being. Cool. Yeah. It's, I don't think there's a right answer, but it is an interesting, I, th- I mean, I really like the fact that you said it's young and that these people are still out there doing it. Cause I think that's important. And like fucking Travis Rice, like that's a whole nother. I mean, there's a reason he did six hours on the bomb hole, right? Like that's like an insane concept. <laughs> um, what I did used to think, and I think this has changed this year, but like, you know, I rode Jackson two days ago and I like rode the natural selection course. Um, not how they rode it, but like I picked my way through. <laughs> and I think that's changed a little bit. Like Revelstoke, I don't think anyone's ever really like that section apart which Mm -hmm. is cool and neat to see how you know pros do it but to me that was always so neat to be like relatable content right like hey this this line you can be some rad dad who went to jackson or rad mom who went to jackson for two days and like showing your 
son or daughter at home, like I, I skied that line or I rode that line. Maybe not like that, but I went under that rock or like, and I really <laughs> love that. And my segue for this is what's up with the NFTs? You got any hot takes on these natural selection NFTs? Is that still a thing? I don't think it is. Well, they didn't, I don't know. I mean, we, I don't know. I don't know. We don't Maybe, have to know. I have to, uh, I, they, we didn't, they weren't talked about during the broadcast at all this year. So I, I don't know what's happening with those. I don't think NFT should be in skiing or snowboarding. I, I don't really know. I, I get a little overwhelmed with like the metaverse and NFTs oh, and all that cool. kind of stuff. So I, I kind of like shrink backward it's in those stressful. things i like the way they explained it about like community and stuff so i think that's rad but i i don't have any nfts or understand the nft marketplace or want to exist in the metaverse yeah same i know those are separate things but i just kind of think oh. about it. i just learned about the gray gray goo recently ai is kind of freaking me out i'm totally down with technology but there's a lot of stuff happening that seems like kind of scary We're old. <laughs> that's what's happening we're like curmudgeons <laughs> This is what we are. It's, it's like we've become it. What was the first mm -hmm. event that you ever hosted? Do you know? Like on commentary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, US Open, actually. Oh, perfect. Uh the last I wasn't I was the sideline reporter at the US Open the last year it was in Stratton. And they're doing a big event at Stratton For, this year, right? Uh yes. Homestead. Yeah. Um it's, yeah, homesick, Gary Land. Um homesick it looks amazing it, it's i've heard it seems like everyone's going it's gonna be really cool i think i don't really know what it is other than like every one of my heroes will be there i'm like oh yes, they're going they're going that's what it is still like what is it i don't think anybody <laughs> um so well there's like three days the first day it's like friday saturday sunday and the first day they're doing a downhill race kind of like the like old old school and then the second day is a half pipe competition but it's going to be like the I don't know how big it is, but you know, like the a normal size pipe, or not hand dug. Um, I think they're getting like a smaller zog type thing, like a twelve footer, yeah, or something like, a like that. Pitch. Like it's gonna be, It'll be fun. Yeah, like super sick. And then the third day, Zeb is hosting a rail jam, I believe. And then there's like a photo show and like um, a vintage board display or or um, show. Like I think it's it just seems like a really cool opportunity for um for people to get together but in another way i think like i think that really booing the history and the heritage of snowboarding is like super super important and the more we can do that i think the better and so i think this is like one of the really cool things is bring all these people together that have done these incredible things in snowboarding and then bring in the current generation that wasn't around like i wasn't that was before my time when they were really doing that at stratton um so i only started going to the open um kind of like 99 or 2000. So I saw it way after it was like really crazy. And it was still so important to me growing up on the East Coast. It was like, that was this thing, you know? So I think it's cool to give the generation that maybe missed that, the opportunity to like, for all of us to go check it out in that way. Yeah, it looks, I'm sad I'm, I mean, I'm not sad I'm out West, but that was definitely an event that I would be going to if I was yeah. on the East Coast. What... So now you've gone on. I don't want to keep you too long. I've had you for like an hour and 10 minutes. No, no, you're chilling. Couple drops. No, you're chilling. Uh, <laughs> best advice for someone for being on the mic? Because you've done it. You do it a lot now. Uh, you, I, We finally met in person that you remember for the first time at Snowbound. Um, I'm very forgettable. 
Um, no. What's your advice for someone who's like wants to be a commentator or wants to get on the mic or do these things? Um, well, I appreciate you even asking me because I still feel like I'm so rookie at this and I'm still learning so, so much. So um, I appreciate I appreciate even being put in a position where you deem me worthy of offering advice um, because I think for me, it's still like I, I love it. It's one of the most exciting and fun things that I am have the privilege of doing, but I also still feel like it's it's so challenging. I think it always will be challenging. And so I still feel like I'm learning so much in it, which is what part of what makes it so exciting. Um, so I think um, advice would be, I guess the easiest thing to do do really is to do your research a lot of in a lot of ways because I think the more information that you have just stored in your brain about whatever it is you want to talk about the better the more that you are coming from a place of like extreme nerd level knowledge the more helpful I think it is in whatever whatever you might be talking about um and and I think beyond that, it's, I think, I mean, there's so many things, so many aspects to it in terms of things that I'm learning. But I think one of the things is like being humble to learn and also having a little bit, trying to grow a thick skin because the internet is, there's, it can be really like, before I started uh, talking in this way, I was always very behind the scenes and felt very comfortable in that situation um, and being a part of things, but not being the one like in front of the camera or anything like that. And and I think it can be really jarring to all of a sudden be the person in front of the camera and you kind of are like, I'm having so much fun. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, people saw this? Oh my God, I totally effed up. Like, how, what did I do? I did this wrong. I did that wrong. I did this wrong. I did that wrong. And it's like a huge, honestly, point of growth for me personally to be able to be like, learn and get better is by actively doing it on air. I can talk to myself all I want, like at home in the living room, but it's not going to be the same as like when someone's in my ear giving me instruction while I'm trying to talk about something and think of the next thing. It's like, it's so exciting, but that's the only way to get better. So I, you kind of have to, um, just really dive into your subject that you want to talk about and then try to be humble and try to be ready to make mistakes and kind of get as comfortable as you can with that. Yeah. It's a really hard thing to give advice on because <laughs> it's like, you just have to get your reps right. And now with the internet, it's really hard to get your reps in. I went, I had the mistake of going on new schoolers recently and like, like, saw my name and went down this fucking wormhole oh no people just trashing me and i was like god damn guys like which is fine like everyone has a voice and that's okay but like you have to have a thick skin you're gonna we could be up. kinder to each other oh well you know? yeah you could be kinder new schoolers, should, <laughs> new schoolers should never change just keep being like <laughs> like someday we will expose all of you and it's gonna be like oh <laughs> Like I ski with you every day. Thanks for saying that. Like Swift Lord <laughs> 42069. Like I yeah, exactly. we were friends. Um, but we should be nicer. And it's I'm seeing is hard. It's hard to be at live events. Oh, yeah. It's hard to be, you know, you're 
acting is hard if anyone's ever just tried acting and now act live yeah <laughs> like with no script well, no real script and and try and communicate things i mean it's so exciting it's so it's so fun to be trying to process because you're working with a lot of time constraints and specific things that are happening and that's what i think juggling all those things together is part of what makes it really fun for me and also like i said like i just love talking about snowboarding. And so I feel very lucky to be able to get to do that in any capacity and to be able to sit there and like, like a Dutor talk with Chris Grenier and Todd Richards and Danny Davis, or talk with Todd and Shannon and Tina, or talk with, you know, Kelsey and Micah from Save a Brain, whoever it is, like, it's so exciting to get to have those conversations. Like, but it's, you're, you're, you know, I think, we all have like been in a social situation where we left or like, did I say something stupid? That sounded so dumb. Right. And, and it's like that, but a bazillion times magnified because you're actually professionally trying to say something. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's just, it's something that I'm constantly trying to improve on, but it's like, you also the side note, you hear you're on people that are really good at it. Like, like Ed Lee, like Todd, like these, these people that are so good at commentating and it just blows your mind. They're amazing. So it's good, lucky to have good, uh, good role models. Yeah. And it's, I think if I asked Todd the same question, he would almost have the, like, there's the, what I've learned at least is everyone has imposter syndrome. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Doesn't totally. matter, like, Carson Daly is probably like every day I'm like, holy shit. Like, and that, <laughs> that was a such a, I love that. That was the wildest name to still. Yeah, but like he's a professional <laughs> voice, like host guy. Is like, he still? Yeah, he like does New Year's Eve. And like New Year's Eve is really huge. yeah. Yeah. Well, he's good like, for him. Good for Carson Daly. Like TRL Carson Daly is probably what you remember. He's probably like yes. 60 pounds heavier. But like really? kind of jacked, but also from the neck down, just covered in tattoos. But you never know because he what? always wears a suit. Yeah, Carson Daly's still doing it. But like, I bet you if oh I ask him, he's like, I don't know, dude. I just go up there and like, I just make shit up to this day, and it's still working. Yeah, yeah you just try and do the best you can. You're just try, you're trying to do the best you can, and and I think it's like I feel like you want to do justice. My biggest thing when commentating is you want to do justice to whoever the the entities are and the people are that you're discussing. So if it's like riders at Dutour or riders at the Olympics, or um, I hosted the Boarding for Breast Cancer um, anniversary celebration at Dutour like a year ago, it's like whatever, or like natural selection, it's like whatever that crew is and the people involved, you just want to do the best you can to represent the efforts they're putting in because people are putting in like their blood, sweat and tears to make these things happen or you know, their livelihood and, and, you know, are putting themselves on the line on like large jumps or big terrain or whatever it is. And just want to like do your best to be representing that and be just due diligence to like their effort in the same way. So I feel like I feel pressure in that sense because you just like everyone's just trying. So they're putting so much of themselves into it that you want to do the same on in the terms of just talking, I guess. No, I feel you know, that. represent I feel what they're doing. Like I, you know, I talk to athletes every week and I'm like, you know, my job is to have a conversation, but I also don't want it to be the same conversation as like the bomb hole or the Powell movement or like so like I'm just like, you know, I try to talk to them and kind of be like, just trust me to have a conversation. And at the end, 
it's not live. I have that luxury of like, we can, if you hate it, but like, I want people <laughs> to like not make a joke of it, but like, I want yeah. them to loosen up and have fun. And like, you know, I had an athlete who was like really, really tight and just giving me like the BS athlete answers. And I was like, this isn't going to go an hour. Like this isn't going to work. Yeah. And then I like asked like the most bullshit curveball question and they broke and then I had them and they trusted me and it was like, this is, yeah. like, I'm not trying to make them, it doesn't do me any good to make any athlete look bad on this yeah. guest athlete. Like, yeah. Doesn't, so it's like, you're trying to, like, I want people to listen to this show and be like, I liked Madison Blackley before as a snowboarder. Now I fucking love her as a human and I've never met her in my life. Like, but yeah. it's not always like, oh, I was born and raised in Utah and I did this. It's like, oh, what's your favorite color? <laughs> like, Yeah, no, totally. It's totally. It's it's not pressure. It's a really fun job and you do it, too. But it's like you don't want to. Disappoint them. And totally. You like, yeah, you know how much passion people are putting into everything and and a variety of other things. And uh, so you want to like respect that like to the utmost right That's all while like, still you know? being yourself which is like yeah like i shouldn't change as a host if i have like like i had conrad anchor on and i was like holy fuck like that's like he's amazing Conrad, legend. Anchor. like this guy's done it all and i'm like but i'm still me and when i met him in person he was like he double taked and then was like oh He's like, I remember you. You had a sense of humor like no one else. And I was like, I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but at least <laughs> showed him who I was in the 47 minutes we had together. Like, yeah, you know, it's it's very scary. It's very interesting. But you're like, oh, remember that heart attack you had on the mountain? And you're like talking about real things and trying to make it fun. Yeah, right? it's crazy. Well, um, I think that's one thing too, is everyone in these industries, it's in their small industries. It's not like we're talking to like someone that has like, uh, that's like, a, you know, like Miley Cyrus or something. I mean, I know she's a person too, but you have to go through layers of agents and PR, like media, like whatever it is. I just think of anyone that was an entourage, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, no, it's, it's like, you're just, you're talking, I mean, even when we have, there's a lot of obviously amazing agents and, um, stuff in snowboarding but it's not the same it's like everyone's is a person and it's just not you know it's it's you're just like someone like card anchor he's like i i met him for the first time at snowbound also and and he was so humble and i was like fanning out because i've read about him for years in my head i was like oh my god and and i think i said to him i was like i'm really sorry but i just have to tell you that like i think you know i've always looked up to what you do and i think it's really incredible like everything that you've done and he was like oh no no you sound like my aunt but thank he was so nice about it but yeah. he was just like he you know he was he was funny he he thanked me and was really really nice but he's so humble he's like he doesn't i couldn't not say something because i was so fanning yeah, out but he was so chill he was like this is just what i do i love doing what i'm doing he was so nice i looked at ethan and like, you know, Conrad had like his glasses and like his typical North Face hat on and like he's 60 something. And I was like, Ethan, it's crazy to look, look around this room and be like that older gentleman is the most athletic human in this building. <laughs> like, It's really Dude, like, it's just crazy. It was so cool. The lineup of people at that event, I was so stoked on, like to get to talk to, um, 
like the some of the mountaineers and alpinists and stuff and the snowboarder it was so sick I, it was people that i've definitely I've read about so much and to meet them in person i was like this is crazy you do crazy things that are so cool that i don't ever want to do i don't ever yeah. want, i have no interest in climbing everest but i'd like to read about it <laughs> no i'd maybe go to base camp yeah maybe like that mitch hedberg thing where he goes i go to base camp yeah see you when you come down that's it like, i don't want to <laughs> go i don't want to be there <laughs> you go into the top soon soon <laughs> just live there mitch heber good reference good i think the last show you ever played was in buffalo new york i'm like almost wow um i was not there but yeah uh i, I don't want to keep it too long i do want to get through a couple more things let's yeah. talk about yeah, the boundaries because i think it's important and i think it's rad what you guys do so kind of explain what it is what you do um and we'll kind of roll with that cool so Beyond the Boundaries is a, a women's snowboard camp um, and trip uh, operation that uh, my friend Christine Savage and I run. Christine, another East Coaster, she's from New Jersey, grew up at Mountain Creek, and she lives in Truckee now in Tahoe. And so we coached together at, uh, at camps for years, and then in 2017 got the opportunity to um, launch our own thing. Basically, the long story short is that Beyond the Boundaries basically originated at Loon through an event called Dropping In that then Mark Wakeling came in. He was the Oakley rep at the time and was like, this is a really cool women's park event. It was really small at the time, um, but he came in and kind of bolstered support. And uh, and he got at the time um, um, uh, Jenny Messing um, and... Uh, was at the women's marketing. She was ahead of women's marketing at Oakley, and she was like, "Yeah, let's do it." And so they came in and kind of really bolstered the event. And it was really amazing. And then we went on, and uh, Oakley supported the camp, and it was called the Oakley Progression Sessions for quite some time. And just you know, initiatives with brands change, and uh, over time, and um, I think they did that for maybe like five years or so. And Christine and I would go to all these different stops, and that's how we got to meet some really awesome individuals that Oakley brought in, like Christy Luskinen and Chanel Sladix and Gretchen Blyler and um and uh um Greta Eliasson and just really really rad individuals and they did ski and snowboard and then uh it just kind of changed where you know that wasn't going to be in the marketing plans and so um just amicably nothing was wrong just you know brands just have yeah, different it's... things they're doing and uh so we said we love this so much and we we don't want to have it tied to a brand if possible because we know if we do it we can keep doing it in perpetuity as long as we can do it so in 2017, we launched Beyond the Boundaries, and basically it's, we did uh, uh, started mainly as the park camps, but the, the initial goal, even back to dropping in, was like, let's just get more women into the park. That was, I think, right when I was out of college, I was brought in by a woman named Carla Hess, actually, to coach at dropping in when I lived in Vermont. And so it was like, get, let's get more women in the park. But over the years, once, you know, they started growing and getting bigger, that we really found that um, women were just looking for a place to find other women who like to snowboard also. Like that's such a hard thing once you're out of school, like especially in New England, like a lot of the people that are um, skiing and snowboarding are are not living right in the mountains. They might live, you know, on the coast of Maine or New Hampshire. They might live in Boston or Hartford or Providence or wherever it may be. And so they're working this like they're weekend warriors. Maybe they don't have anyone else in their life other than maybe their husband or boyfriend or partner who snowboards. And so they go to work, none of the people they work with, none of their friend group, anything like that. So beyond the boundaries, 
was really an opportunity for people just to make friends and form community. And I think, so that was a big part of it. So, and also the idea of in, instilling confidence in women that it is okay to be bad at something before you are good because obviously snowboarding requires a lot of falling a lot of times before you get what you want to do or you could be trying a trick and it could take a long time to get it so it's like break down basically the thing is break down the intimidation aspect of the park um foster community and introduce people help you know people make new friends and connections and then also help people build confidence and feel good and like be able to try new things on their snowboard that were scary. But then honestly, without, I don't mean this cheesy at all, but I've seen like some really wonderful instances of this over the years where women really went out of their comfort zone on the mountain and in the park or like on one of the trips. Now we go to like Chile and Japan and stuff like that. And those are like not park focused at all, but they did that and they've done other things in their lives and reported back to us or we've been there for them where they've something totally unrelated to snowboarding that they just like were confident enough to do now because they had built that confidence from kind of all of our staff thing you know because i think women put a lot of adults in general but women in specific put a lot of pressure on themselves that you you that it's embarrassing to not do well especially in front of other people and our camp is like no like we fall all the time there are professional snowboarders who are coaches and they fall sometimes all the time and they're still crushing it they're amazing but it's just part of the game so that's kind of a so yeah we do different stops all over north america um for weekend camps and then a couple international camps and i have to give massive massive thanks to christine savage um my better half of the camp because she has uh she had the camp on her back um, all of last year because I was gone in China for a while and couldn't couldn't participate in the same way. And she has been handling so much of it this year as well. I'm just like in complete like, um, you know, I owe her big time because she just is such a boss and handles business. Yeah, it's amazing how people assume that you have to be good at things. Yes, yeah. And even when you do certain things, people assume at least for me i don't know how it is for you but like i'm a podcast host so like people think i'm good at things and i'm like <laughs> I, like i just talk about it i don't like i'm a good skier i'm a good snowboarder but like mountain biking i'm bad i ride a lot i have fitness but like i'll walk around it i might fall down it like i am not good at it and it's like one of my favorite yeah. things to do because i'm bad at it uh, yes and I yeah i feel that and i think me i'm very fortunate with like my confidence level that like i'm okay at sucking but then i like see some friends who are like don't want to ride with certain of my friends because they think that my other friends care that they suck and i'm like dude no one cares yes. or like you know yeah. even with jess my significant other like She'll be like, well, and I'm like, Jess, we don't care. Like, we'll wait, we'll watch, we'll help, we'll, and like, we went downhilling and she dropped like three cliffs that I never dropped yet. And I was like, what? Like, that's now sick. I had to drop them. And I was like, shit. But it's like, <laughs> like, it's just like, that's progression is cool. And making a safe space for progression is like always needed. Um, And it's just fun. I rode with a crew on yeah. Saturday and, I was making them all do the Pocono shuffle. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's like, you just make like a hundred million turns because your vert is only like 
for it's like in your <laughs> the hip. Poconos like shuffle. Pocono shuffle. It's how they ski in the Poconos because if you make four, I've never heard that's turns, amazing. You're at the bottom, and like we yeah. were falling over. We were, but it's like that's fun. Like it doesn't, you know, like snowboarding you're like all right we're just gonna butter around and like some of those runs are the most fun is when i ski with snowboarders because they see a hill totally different than i do and i'm trying to manipulate it on my skis and like you fall and like that having that group of friends and like you guys sound like you create that group at a camp is so important because it doesn't always exist yes no totally i i mean i think honestly it's it's fun to suck at things because the there's so much opportunity to get better and to learn and it and if you like i don't know if you're good at everything where's the excitement in trying to get better at it you know and but i think it is really hard especially for females to to not they feel a lot of pressure to constantly be doing whatever it is they're doing perfectly and if and you can't do that in order to get better so i think creating that environment where you're essentially making it okay to suck at things and okay to make mistakes and okay to fall and to like kind of surrender yourself to the process of getting better is is it's like when like i said when we started we didn't even like see how important that was we just were like let's get more women in the park there's not very many women riding in the park and now it's like wow this is such a huge element of this and and it's been cool for both christine and i like i can't speak for her but we've talked about this before where it's really when we started camp like when we started coaching, we were both like such. That's where we were riding. Actually, she was already out west, but I was still on the East Coast. Like that's all I rode. And over the years, like we've both obviously gotten like started doing things like splitboarding, getting in the backcountry and all that kind of stuff. And so we've kind of evolved camp to include those things as well. And and it's just exciting being able to bring more women into the fold. And And not only are you kind of having fun on the mountain and teaching things there but you're also like you know when women come to camp we're like oh this is taylor elliott she's um one of your coaches you should watch her video part in xyz like this is madison this is savannah gold and this is fancy rutherford like this is faye galini watch her in border across the olympics like whatever it is like we also try to really imbue like snowboard culture in that and like let people know we basically want women to feel like they have agency in the mountains to be to call themselves snowboarders to not be like i just go snowboarding but to be like i am a snowboarder and i could pick up a magazine and i could read it and feel like i belong or i could watch a video and feel like i belong or I could listen to a podcast or whatever it is and and i think again it goes back to like talking earlier about the culture of snowboarding is like trying to share snowboarding in in a way that is so meaningful for us and and let more people in in that way and and one of the things too that's been hard for us is like we function based off of the um the registration fees right like we're you know we're by our bootstraps kind of business and so everything you know insurance lift tickets like the food all that stuff is really expensive so but it's such a double-edged sword because it's not cheap to attend a weekend camp it's you know anywhere from 325 to 400 dollars for two two and a half days and and i do feel like you get a lot for that but that's like that's a lot of money and snowboarding is really expensive. So we have been so lucky over the past couple of years. Um, we just had our third free ride day at Dutour, 
Uh, we've been working with Nitro for the last two years to do free ride days. And uh, we have another one that I can't announce quite yet, but soon um, is going to be happening in this spring. And I guess I, let me put free in parentheses or with an asterisk because we do like a $10 donation to a nonprofit. We worked with Save the Brain and done that. And so we feel like we're stoked to be able to contribute because we'll have a Save the Brain staff on our coaching roster. Um, but I think that's been really exciting for us as an evolution of the of the um, camp in the last couple of years because finally we could do something that is really more is a bit more attainable yes you still have to have a snowboard and a lift ticket but at least we're eliminating the cost barrier in that sense so we're trying to evolve to be able to do more things like that um that complement the ride days and international trips just because it is expensive we want to hopefully get you know more people to be able to come but it also goes back to like you know it goes back to the magazine or the telemark like if you believe in something it's okay to support it and it's it's not always easy yeah. and it's hard and hopefully we have sponsors that can always play but like you guys aren't like driving around teslas in la like no like, <laughs> you know like when it's all said and done if you boil down those costs you're like okay we you know we profited 40 bucks off of each of you and we can eat yeah tomorrow. like it's not it it all goes right back into the business. I mean, it's expensive. It's, it's just, re it's, it's, ex we're so grateful. I mean, just the fact that we have a business model that allows us to keep going, that pays for itself. Um, that's all we can ask for really, you know, that we can pay our staff and hopefully continue to increase their pay because they are amazing. Really lucky to have. And it takes work, people. right? But, like, uh, yeah. yeah. You know, a lot of pro snowboarders, have jobs so they're like yeah like so they're taking off five days of work to lose money so if they can make yeah. a couple bucks a day exactly like, like i just think and maybe i'm wrong and maybe a listener will listen or dm me or but like there's this illusion that like all of these pro skiers and snowboarders like i i would say almost 90 percent of them are like bussing tables or yeah. you know landscaping in the summer to like mm -hmm. and then like putting their life at risk in the winter to make a dollar so like we totally. can support these humans because they deserve the support no you're totally right that's exactly <laughs> exactly how it is <laughs> it's it's a lot um you know doesn't these contracts don't go that far yeah um and everyone loves it so they're like they're down they're like let's go i'll do whatever it takes which is sick which is sick but it's also, like yeah we could the more we can support them the better <laughs> yeah it's okay In to support way. people you like uh pizza or tacos oh no both oh my god oh okay. you're gonna oh. fail at this so, hard. so no no okay no i'm gonna go okay if i had to pick one or the other i love both i'm going tacos okay playlists or podcasts podcasts i'm such a nerd i'm kind of bad at music pool or beach pool I mean, I love the beach also, but I like that. You're like failing that the pool this test. Has, uh, pool. Fruits or vegetables? What was it? Fruits or vegetables? Oh, God. I'm a vegetarian. So, again, this is so hard, but I'm going to go vegetables. I, that's all I eat is fruit and vegetables and sugar. Text or call? What was it? Text or call? Oh, text. You, I've. You are the worst person I've ever done this with, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, okay. Yeah, no, I, I, that, I believe that. And I, I take ownership of that. I, I'm, I'm like, 
I read this thing. Sorry, this is an aside, but I read this thing. <laughs> I'm not like crazy into astrology or anything like that, but I like to read. I think it's interesting. But I read that I my I have something in Libra, which like is like you see you like it I've read this extensively about myself that like something about looking at both sides of things and that is a problem that I have in all facets of life which I guess maybe is a benefit sometimes but so that's you're encountering that in real time here my problem is I'll die on any hill (laughs) I also will do that sometimes like I will pick a side and even if I'm like like I will eat the peas I don't like the peas but I'll eat the peas (laughs) I love peas that's just where I'm at um all right let's get through this comedy or horror comedy that one's easy waffle, i can't no. waffle or pancake pancake park, these are easier now park or pow i'm gonna say both but you gotta nothing oh, good powder. that's a horrible powder day. powder day coffee or tea uh, you're just picking everything that i like that's um, the point uh uh tea run or bike run two stroke or four stroke i don't know is that like a dirt bike i don't know what that is uh, most people <laughs> like have a snowmobile preference uh, oh i don't know how to snowmobile i have perfect. to go split board forum or burton oh that one's hard <laughs> i'm going forum yeah, I mean, forever okay. but i don't know anything oh, about forum- the new forum forum like was the first thing that i thought was cool in snowboarding yeah so same. like that was the very very first thing they, everything was so sick it was like the late 90s early 2000s like forum was so sick um so i think like as a youth i practically knew about forum before i knew about burton like i i just thought they was like this is so sick but um burton is so amazing also i god i gotta play the fifth on that they're both so they're sick for different reasons burton does so many rad things Um, burton Burton does so many cool things has saved snowboarding and i truly believe that and i uh there was a time where snowboarding was not doing well and they injected a lot of money into getting kids on snowboards um of course a lot of people hate the big guy because they think that that's just easy. It's, it's uh, easy to hate the big guy. Oh, it's easy to hate but that like kind of forum, stuff always. Back in the day, forum. And then like, I might even put like genius into that. People listening. Oh, genius was so cool. But like, No, genius was so cool. I credit genius with being one of the first like daily updated blogs and snowboarding. I feel like it yeah. really was. And then Ashbury was after that. And like, was it like, I used to check those websites every day to see what was on their website. I might have just like gained Before, one snowboarder out of this podcast from dropping. <laughs> can can I say one thing? I know that we're running on yeah, yeah. low on time probably, but like the, so forum was really instrumental in my upbringing. What I thought was snowboarding was right. So like, I love, 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 love forum. My first board was a forum. It was a Peter line pro model with the fear and loathing graphics on it. I still have mm-hmm. it. Um, that was the first snowboard I owned. But um, when I was in college, it was the time of the Burton developer. Have you heard of the Burton developer? Mm-mm. So the Burton developer was a forum that was on Burton.com. And this is like really dating me. But if, but there's I, there's people I still talk to today that I didn't know in person when we're all on developer, but we're all on it. And only like two of them have I ever talked to about the developer. But I recognize me. I'm like, oh, that guy. He was on the developer. I know him. That's um, but uh, but so forum like an old school forum you know where there was like i i would assume burton started it to like get feedback from 
consumers on different product because there was like a boards category, boots category, bindings, and there was like resorts or mountains, and then there was like, you know, a general. And then what in, in those categories, users would just start all their own things and talk about stuff and talk. It, but it was, so it was, but it was huge. It was like, it was like a gathering place for snowboarding before there was any gathering place online. Yeah, it was new schoolers and, for snowboarding. Yeah, and so like I, yeah, and so when I was in college, I went to school in Massachusetts. There was no, I think I knew one other snowboarder, who I, or two other snowboarders that I went to college with. Sorry, I'm plugging my computer in. I didn't need to say that because no one can see what I'm doing. That's all right. <laughs> I was trying to, um, the, uh, but there was a total lack of snowboard culture, and I felt like really like, oh my god, what am I doing here? A lot of the time. Um, it just, for like, it's just kind of crazy, like going from small town, Maine to like a very preppy liberal arts school. Um, but, uh, but I like lived on the Burton developer. That's what I did in my free time. Like I would just read every single post that was on there every day. And so that was like my oasis of snowboarding when I was at school was reading the Burton developer. So I have to give them a lot of credit for providing that in like the early two thousands and late nineties for all of us. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, it missed other things. They've done a lot of other amazing oh, right. stuff too. But, but it's cool that when, was like, very formative for me. Sticks in your brain is like, you know, if that didn't exist, maybe you would be an accountant. Like, you don't know, right? Oh, I'm not. I, I'm not very good at math, but I appreciate that. Simple math. Simple <laughs> no, I mean, math. so yeah, so both Burton and I mean, I was an intern at Rome during the Burton Rome like crazy yeah. days, but I still always, obviously, had so much respect for Burton. Everyone, everyone does and did. But uh, yeah, both Burton Forum were formative, and I'm, I think there's so many cool things that Burton is doing that I think are just, and so many wonderful people that are. I mean, I, I could, you could say that too. There's so many companies like that. I'm yeah, not, I mean, I just mean I can't. I understand the Forum Eight, the Forum Eight, and I, then on Inc. Ugh, I don't know. I understand. I remember when Forum got bought, or maybe it was before they got bought. But I was like mad at Forum for something, and I bought a M3 Scotty Whitlake Pro model. That's sick. Which I still have. It has like that pink graphic with like the M3 stamp. That's like. That's so cool. My two snowboarders were Mikey LeBlanc and Scotty Whitlake. And like. That's high quality individuals to be down with. Because to me. They were the. This is maybe a hot take, but they were the least finesse. But I felt that because I'm not a finesse snowboarder. Like some people are just like JP Walker was just like smooth. And then Mikey LeBlanc would be like, I'll drop this 20 set and just land flat and like, ha, like he was just like this little like Italian, like just you know, Irish, or Irish, Irish, sorry. Watch Irish, out. Irish. <laughs> I, I was picturing I have the Drake fighting Irish bindings, his pro model. Yeah. Like I have them on my Scotty Whitlake. So not That's Italian, sick. Irish, but like they were the two like and Whitlake. I don't know how he ever landed anything because he was like some he was like your friend who like was like i'm gonna hit that and you're like please don't hit that like you're gonna get hurt and you always made it out <laughs> and i was like that's i got yeah. that scotty like that's not a scotty phenomenal but no they're amazing those were my two yeah, they're, they're they have like a power like i always i don't know why i, I don't know have a good word to describe it but it's like i don't always think of like a like i always think of rocks in a way yeah they just like something that's like but they're just ah. yeah and they're so good and they're so powerful and they're so scrappy you know, with their style, it's, yeah, it's awesome. Scrappy's a good term. Scrappy's a good term. And LeBlanc stole the toboggan from my home resort and then shredded it. No way. That was your home resort. From the bar at Kissing Bridge. 
And then he no did a segment way. in Buffalo on that on the toboggan. That's so cool. I actually only heard that like that part of the story like semi recently in the yeah. last couple of years, and I was like, whoa! And I forgot where it was. That's it's from really the bar cool. at Kissing Bridge, which is like twenty miles north of Ellicottville. That's like, so rad. Valley is. Yeah, all the note, history. That's the one place we we had an event there every year at Red Bull, and it always conflicted with another event, so I never have been there. It's one of the East Coast places I have not gotten to go to. Probably like for the to. best. No, I want it to be great together. <laughs> um, last question for you. Well, kind of last. Best advice you've ever been given. Um, okay, uh, I got this. So years ago, um, two two pieces of advice. Both came from guys I worked at Red Bull with. Um, the the first one is like my number two piece of advice. But Dave Rule, who worked at Red Bull. And he now, I think, works, um, he lives in Austin and works there. He's an awesome, awesome guy. And uh, he told me when he was leaving Red Bull and was telling all of us, um, basically something to the lines of, like, like, stay, like, stay connected with the people that you work with. You know, there's going to be shifts in companies all the time. Because I was super young. I was probably, like, 21 years old or something like that, 22 years old. And that's when you associate. You haven't gone through that stage of, like, I work here and then I work there and my friend works there and then you move around and he basically was like stay friends with the people that you work with because it's people not companies people not brands you know and and um and that was really cool because I've been really lucky I feel like speaking just a snowboarder in particular that the crew that with I feel like they're family and we all get to work together in different capacities nowadays but everyone's still very close and I feel very lucky for that um but I think that extends to any any job it's like stay with the people regardless of where everyone's working because you can people you like to collaborate with and you get along with will are lifelong or can be if you you know um you know uh water that relation relationship you know <laughs> and feed it and nurture it yeah I got it um, my my number one piece of advice that I ever received was uh, Jenna Richard told me I had a brief stint working in-house at Red Bull and it was not the right role for me. And I went ended up actually leaving the in-house role after a very short time and going back to working as a contractor under the sports um, sports side of things. And toward the end of that, when I was in-house, we were at this big meeting thing and we're and Jenna Richard said to me, um, he said, don't ever let anyone waste your time, but yourself. Oh, I love that. And that one has stuck with me. Like that was probably when I was like, I don't know, mid twenties, like early mid twenties. And, uh, that stuck with me so much because like we were talking about earlier with the freedom thing, it's like, just even, even if it's a false sense of freedom, it's really meaningful and it makes you feel motivated to keep going. And, you know, it that also it spoke to me because it was like at the time all due respect to everyone i worked with at red bull they're all great but it just wasn't the right role for me it wasn't it was a step back from sports it was more just consumer marketing and and i lasted a couple months where i was like okay this isn't working and we're in new york and, city uh out of boston okay yeah but i was living up in new hampshire um and it was just like a field marketing role and uh but it was like it took me too far away from snowboarding um and it was like the the benefits were great the health insurance was great the the pay was great it was secure but i wasn't happy and um and i thought that was great advice because it just spoke to that kind of you know unorthodox opportunity that you are the decider and the maker of your own destiny and 
you don't have to you don't have to be complacent in a situation that doesn't feel the best even if there are things that are great about it um complacent is probably not the right word because it has a negative connotation i guess but you don't have to you don't have to just do that you can you know don't i just liked it i just i just i guess i'm not even doing a great job of explaining it but i think about it, it often. makes sense i think it's just one like i don't know some people are very happy someone would be very happy in that exact same role but that yes. role wasn't for you and yeah. you knew that so you pivoted and some people don't yeah. some people just stay there and continue to just like work a job that doesn't make sense for them forever and like i don't know how yeah. to do it but like hats off to them i guess <laughs> yeah and it was great jenner is is amazing amazing person and he's actually married to jamie mcleod who is uh, okay. a pro snowboarder yeah. and is also amazing um and then she'll be i think they're going to both be at the uh east street archives event which is cool but um I, that's when i saw him in north carolina at uh, luke winkleman's um uh red bull rail yard that's when I was like, I gotta tell you, this is like, cause I hadn't seen him in over a decade. And I was like, this has carried me from like my twenties till now. I think about that still. And he was like, wow, really? I said that? Cool. That's, <laughs> That's even better yeah. that he didn't even know. Yeah. Which I <laughs> but, um, Mary, I don't know if you want people to follow you on Instagram, but if you do, where should they follow you? How I can mean, they get involved in for ask for advice or maybe get uh, sign up for a camp? Like, this is kind of your moment here. Um, I, I mean, follow me at their own discretion. I'm not super great at social media, but uh, my Instagram is at Walsh MT, which is my name, uh, W-A-L-S-H-M-T. Um, that's my first initial, my middle initial. It's contrary to popular belief, it is not Walsh Mountain, but there is one of those in Australia that I found. Um, so yeah, that's uh, Beyond the Boundaries is uh, BT Bounds on Instagram. Um, yeah, that's, that's probably the best two places. And then, uh, snowboard mag, follow snowboard mag. Um, subscribe. if you like snowboarding, yeah, subscribe, uh, read the, read the online. Um, I write a lot of words on that and, uh, work with a great crew of, uh, sorry, I'm just giving so many shouts, but I just feel like so many people are great to me. I want to like, like, show how much I appreciate them. But like Mark Clavin, who's amazing, is our uh, photo editor. And work, I work directly with him and he's fantastic. And then Jeff Baker, obviously our GM. Lucky Lopez is our um, sales uh, sales director. And Mike Basher is um, uh, obviously takes all the gear photos, gear editor, but also just an editor in general. Um, so yeah, those are the places, I guess. Um, uh, and also, can I give another thanks? And I didn't ask you you thanks to anyone, but I just wanted to say one person I haven't mentioned at all, who's honestly one of the most important people in my life as a friend and also professionally is Tom Monteroso, who's amazing. And I have so much appreciation for him. And, uh, and he's also on the natural selection tour staff and all those, they're all just killing it. Um, so yeah, big, big, huge thanks to, to him as well. Um, and Christine. And all the BT Bound staff, they're amazing. And um, I appreciate them all so much. So yeah, those are the two things on Instagram, I think. I have a website if people want to look at things that I haven't updated in a while. <laughs> and th thank you for taking the time to chat, tell your stories. Because yeah. without you taking two hours, we wouldn't have the story. So thank you. No, thank you so much for the opportunity to come on here and talk. It's been really fun. And I appreciate um my first podcast experience talking about myself. So you helped me 
you know, it's broke so the wild. seal on that. So I appreciate it. Your first. 